Welcome to part two of my interview with Scott Benson about Kentucky Route Zero and all sorts of other things. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the first part. Uh, definitely keep an eye out for even more patron-related content coming out uh, this week and look back for the Q&A uh, from last week as well. And enjoy. No, I was actually going to bring it back because, like the, and and not not because you just said that. Like it's it's very much something in Night in the Woods where like uh, that, and I, I will get back to Kentucky Route Zero too. But like, it, it's you're speaking to something there that I find in Night in the Woods that like is so cool. Where, and we talked about this in the last podcast, but the or the last time we talked, like the the parent relationship is is not totally antagonistic and at points it is sure but like and there's there's tension um but the the understanding there seems to come from an ability to sort of like meet on that place where everyone realizes they're sort of struggling and trying to produce something out of that struggle but may is sort of like the only one who has that permission to think about mm -hmm. it differently um in, in a certain way and maybe that's giving her parents not enough credit or may too much credit um but there's the way that that like everyone's going through the same struggle, but some only some have the permission to sort of understand it in a particular way, <laughs> just by um, random circumstance. Yeah, right, exactly. And if there's anything that Kentucky Route Zero is like good at, it's producing random circumstance by which characters can understand, and you know, in good and bad ways, and sort of like clear and unclear ways they can kind of be given permission to think about their world in different and interconnected ways. Like it's a way of producing in any, if anything, and I guess this would be my thesis on the game, um, which maybe isn't cool with a game like Kentucky Route Zero, but I'll do it. it anyway. It's a, it's a way of producing like a totality. Like the game is like basically an aesthetic production of a world that's interconnected. Like, and it's it, it done in like the most schematic way possible, uh, but also fascinating and, you know, interesting and Gothic and, uh, cool way possible but what, like what what people recognize in it as art what people see in it as art is this like connecting of the dots connecting of the strings so that you can kind of be given permission to think about the yeah world. there's um and again uh the um the depiction of the way that it depicts struggles that we, we all have to come back to struggle like like mm. uh, there is something like so we talked about cart life i think maybe last time cart life is a game where you're essentially mm -hmm. it's, it's a working poor simulator like it is i mean that's <laughs> basically it i think it might even be called something like that or <laughs> something and it's like it's like kind of horrible panic inducing uh tagline was uh, work harder hard worker um and stuff <laughs> and it was about like yeah you have this amount of money you have this amount of things you need to go do this and you need to make a life for yourself and you you know, depending on who you are, it's like, yeah, you're um, a woman who's lost, like, custody of her children, I think, or you're uh, an immigrant living in a hotel with your cat or something. And it's like, what are you going to do? You can open up, like, a, a bagel stand. You can try to do, like, a newsstand. You can do this. You have all these responsibilities. And it and it hammers home how much, like, you know, being having money buys you mistakes. Like, you can fuck mm -hmm. up so mm -hmm. many mm -hmm. times 
if you have money and the more money you have, the bigger and more often you can fuck up and feel no consequences. The less money you have, you fuck up once in some small way, it all comes crumbling down. Uh, and it's completely right. your fault, of course. You know, we, we as a society will totally judge you for it, too. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and say, like, oh, well, you know, he was a fuck up anyway. That's why he didn't have money to begin with. Um, and and stuff. Right. It's, and again, it's that dehumanization. Cart Life captures that so well. And I remember playing it and going, why? <laughs> Like, why am I not playing more games that talk about, like, we have, like, all these struggles, like, you know, that are metaphors for, like, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to go, like, end racism against elves, I guess, in some game, or we're going to go and, de- <laughs> and, de- and defeat the bad, <laughs> whatever, and, like, we're going to we're gonna do this and that, which is fine. Like, I'm not really even discounting that, but we, there's just a lot of that. But something like in Cart Life where I'm like, oh, my God, I've been there. I actually have to start playing this because I'm having a panic attack because I don't want to be in this position again. And I've been in this position. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a way of like the like, oh, I'm too good for it. It's just no, no one wants to be in that position. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Of course. And Kentucky Route Zero is another one. There's um, so there's a running plot line with Conway that who is starts off as the main character, but the game. One of the great things about the game is it switches characters like at, at just on a whim. Sometimes you end up playing both sides right. of the conversation. Uh, we haven't even really talked about all this interesting structural things to do because it's be like a five hour podcast. But like. The um, yeah, right, Conway, who is, you know, your main protagonist for much of of the first uh, few acts in particular, um, this kind of older delivery guy, um, he he's injured uh, late in Act 1 when they're in that mine that we talked about. And yes, um, right. he, it gets really bad. You end up limping uh, through a lot of Act 2. Um, and you're trying to find a doctor. And... You end up at this place called the Bureau, uh, or the, uh, what's it called? The Museum of Dwellings is what it's called. And it's a bunch of houses that are in a museum, like, out mm-hmm. just, like, in the middle of nowhere, like, on this, on this highway. And all these people, you know, these are, you know, houses that people lived in and, like, aren't there anymore. But they are in this museum, and a bunch of people have taken to living in their houses in the museum. Uh because, you know, again, again <laughs> this game has so much going on in it, it's so good. But like the um uh but they're they're living in the in this in these museum in the in this museum and but the people can't sleep there because as much as it's home it's like not like home home. Uh and hmm. you know, like it's extremely again like, you know, America and a lot of other places, but particularly here, like it's just like the oh yeah, there were homes that you actually once had access to, but now it's all kind of commodified into this thing where it's like your home's not even where it used to be, but it's in the museum of of where it used to be, which is how like so much right. of all of this feels. It's just like yeah, I feel like there's there's a disconnection from some sort of actual groundedness, and we're in some sort of simulation of groundedness, this kind of commodified form of of hominess. Um, you know, sometimes it's really bad, like you're a church shoved into a storage locker, or sometimes it's just that you know, people think that your house is quaint, so it ends up in a museum. But you can still kind of live in it. Um, and but the people there can't sleep, and so the this game is also very magical, real, is kind of surreal and weird. And there's a kid named Ezra who has a brother named Julian. Uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra's parents, uh, their house was foreclosed on. They basically became homeless. They were like living in a bus station, and he and Julian went off to kind of explore around. And they came back and their parents were gone. And mm. so Ezra and this kid are just kind of like, you know, you meet them in the Museum of Dwellings, this little kid. And he's like, oh, my brother Julian, we can take you out to this place. We take every night we come back 
and we Julian picks up the houses. Oh, Julian's a giant eagle, by the way. <laughs> He's just massive, oh, well, like three-story sure. tall eagle. And um, he, uh, they're like, yeah, we take the we take these homes out past like these swamps into like this pine forest where so everyone can actually finally sleep. And mm. again, one of those moments where I almost cried playing this game, where I was just like, yeah, that thing of like the, yeah, you're not home. You're home. You're in your home, but you're not home. Uh, and like, talk about alienation. Like, it's like you're in a right. home, but you're not home anymore. And so, the, the the kindness that this giant eagle can do for people is to take them to a place where they are like, we're we're not we're away from all this. We're hidden in these woods in our homes, and we can finally sleep and be at peace here, uh, and have our own space that is ours in some sort of way that is more let that is less alienating. Um, and I think it's just so beautiful. But like the uh, but so Conway goes to this doctor. And the doctor's like, "Yeah, we're gonna have to like replace the bottom part of your leg," and he replaces it with this like glowing neon skeleton leg. And you're like, "That's weird." <laughs> but as you go on, and particularly to the next act, you you find that there are uh, these pl- this place, this whiskey dis- distillery, Hard Times Whiskey, where you go down into it, and there's you know this big neon skeletons that's like showing you around. And you find these other neon skeletons that are just like, you know, if you took Conway's leg replacement and just made that their entire body, that's who they are now. They're just <laughs> like all of them are replaced with these kind of glowing, wiry bones that are just really gorgeous looking, too. And uh, Con- and you realize that they're all working off debt. Uh, and Conway is now oh. in debt for his 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 medical procedure, too. So Conway literally has a phantom limb of debt of debt. <laughs> That's like he can't get rid of, you know. You can't, That's great. I mean, yeah, not great for him. Give it back. Great image. And yeah. during that trip through the distillery, he basically gets kind of Conway's an alcoholic, kind of recovering. And he uh, later on, the skeleton is just like, oh yeah, like you know, it's, like it's customary, you know, when you start working here, you got to like take a take a drink of like our whiskey. And the game gives you one option, and it's to drink. It is, oh, no. and you just sit there frozen for like I sat there frozen for like a minute, going, "There's another," and I like like kind of ran around that room just searching for anything else I could click on. But no, all you could do is drink. They not give you the option oh. to not drink, and that ends up being one of my favorite choices in any game ever because it shows there are there are times when there are situations that you're in where you have a choice, but due to a whole bunch of other things, you don't have a choice at all. And it's mm. your fault, but it's not your fault <laughs> type of thing. Um, you still have to press that button. And so at that point, the skeleton guy goes, okay, cool. Well, that just incurred a whole bunch of debt that you now have to wa- work off basically forever. And you can, <laughs> you, you're you going to have to come back here when you're done with your delivery. That you're that was like the whole MacGuffin of this whole game. And you yeah. basically belong to us now. And you're like, oh, that's who all these skeleton people are, people who's, entire agency has been taken from them because of debt um, and stuff. Ugh. And it's, it's one of these things where you're like, it all comes together and you're like this horrifying moment where you're like, Oh God, that is exactly what this is. That is exactly what debt is. It's the way that these like fucking skeletons get their hands on you and, and slowly strip everything away. Like all of your individuality, all of your humanity away till you're just this kind of skeleton sitting there like working because they've taken everything else from you and you still owe. Uh-huh. Well, and it's, it's utility stacked on utility too. I mean, going back to, I mean, both are sort of that way. Like you're talking about 
the houses in the museum and, and, and you can't sleep in a house in the museum because it's not a house anymore. It's a museum piece, right? Like it does two things or, uh, and, and, you know, a classic house just does one. It, it, it houses you, mm -hmm. you can sleep in it. Um, similarly, you know, like your the, the alcohol, uh, it, it acts as sort of like a, a, a contract, but it's also alcohol. It gets you drunk. Um, but it also incurs a debt, which keeps you in, under the contract or the yeah. leg, right? Like it's, it's a replacement leg, but it's also a marker, but it's also mm -hmm. a metaphor. And like all of these things have utility stacked on each other. And that's just like, that's exactly what the current moment is. Everything has to have utility. And it goes back to sort of thinking about Kentucky Route Zero and games like it. And maybe you've gotten critiques of, about this in your own game where like the, the, the critique is always like, well, I, you know, I didn't have to do anything. I did. I wasn't like, I wasn't challenged. Like I had to walk. It was linear. I had to like click buttons or whatever. You see this with like a lot of really smart games. People yeah. have this complaint and th that complaint boils down to like, I, there wasn't mm -hmm. enough utility. Like it didn't, it didn't do the things I needed it to do. It wasn't worth my money because it didn't like, it didn't mm -hmm. do enough. And that, thing where like you're not worth it if you don't do enough or your 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 domicile isn't worth it if you, if it doesn't mm -hmm. do three it's things it's not museum worthy like that, that i always think about what yeah, happens all yeah the other yeah exactly that aren't in that museum yeah, oh, wow. oh. <laughs> probably probably like uh uh turned into yeah, prefab yeah. or something like that um ugh. but no i mean that's the thing like that's like it, you don't get forgotten you don't get you don't get thrown away you get repurposed or you you get utility or yeah. you get repurposed and that's such a tragedy like it's such a it's so dehumanizing and so upsetting to think like oh there's no moment in my life that is just pure leisure it all has to be utilized and turned into something and monetized and i think the the situation you described in all of Kentucky Route Zero since it is a, a like a delivery is about that like it's all about this magical realism of like this moment where like you're just in the middle of this gorgeous uh magical narrative uh like all magical realism it's also a moment where like yeah you, you have a job you have a family or you have something to do or you have responsibilities and you better get mm -hmm. them done at the same point and it's so like it, yeah there, there's um there, one of the things i love about kentucky zero is that it's a beautiful game like there, it is kind of a wondrous, mysterious place. There's like, there's so much we haven't even talked about. Everyone, really seriously, go play this game. It's really good. But like, it, yeah, yeah, we're we're at two hours. We can't talk more about this. Like, we we can talk more about it, but we we shouldn't yeah, talk much um, more about it. So everyone, go yeah, play the game. Uh, it, 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 this, this, I mean, we spoiled a bunch of it, but seriously, we haven't spoiled enough that like, the the experience is worth it. And there's so much more to it than we're even getting at. There's whole characters and arcs, but the um. The world is really wondrous and wonderful, and it reminds me of those dreams. Like pretty much my favorite dreams I ever have are the ones where I'm living someplace and I walk, and I'm like, oh, I never walked into these woods over here. And I walk into the woods, and there's mm. like this whole big park or a whole other town, or there's this whole area that I just never knew about. And like we just moved into mm. a new place, uh, like I said, in a new town in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, and I'm just discovering all these little places and all these little towns, and I'm like never happier than I am right now. Like just like, like I found all these places, and I, I oh I went down that road, and oh and then like it goes back to what we were talking about, the kind of like very Americana highway wanderlust of just like I, I need I yeah. want to get out there, I want to see what's here because there's so much space and there's so much there. Uh, Kentucky Routier does that in this really again kind of wonderful magical way. 
um, that is, there's so many wonders to see, so many bizarre things you don't have any context for, but they're all things that you're like are memorable and are just so interesting and have this history to them. And even if they don't mean anything to you, you know they mean something to someone, and that's interesting too. And um, that's great. But yeah. at the same time, you're there because you have to make a delivery. Like you're not just having like this 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 <laughs> mystical quest or whatever. It's like no, you're making a delivery, dude. You gotta you you have a you know a job or whatever. There's it's a bit more complicated once you get into the backstory of why he's making the delivery. But still, it's everyone there has jobs for the most part, or they you know like Junebug and Johnny are like playing gigs, and they're like, yeah, we do kind of need money <laughs> to survive. It would be weird <laughs> if like Junebug and Johnny, who are like these like emblems of 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 kind of arriving at a consciousness that is beyond just the the purposes the capital has for you. It would be weird if the game had been like, yeah, and then they became rich and successful because they understood it. But the, no, they're not. They're like dirt poor and struggling. Um, yeah, they're just yeah. like you. And right. like Shannon, who is like uh, one of the other main characters, becomes uh, one of the one of the primary characters uh, throughout, um, particularly in Act Four. Uh, she uh, she's a TV repairman. She like repairs TVs. Like. They all have jobs. They all have to go do stuff. Everyone's like running a restaurant or is salvaging something or is working at that whiskey distillery or doing something except for like the ch- like the children. The doctor is the doctor and there's payments involved. Like there is mm, you are yeah. still the, like, you know, you're not just on this like mystical like I'm just going to go wander around forever. It's like, no, dude, you're on the clock. Like there's and there's there's bills to be paid <laughs> and shit. Well, and. And bills to be paid from industries that are, like, falling by the wayside. Everything's about to, to collapse. You know, like, as the as the guy says, the, the guy at Equus Oil says at the beginning of the game, you know, like, you say you're, a, you're an antique salesman. He goes, I bet it's hard. I bet, like, antiques are hitting hard times. And he says, I guess everything's hitting yep. hard times. But, like, antique, antiques delivery, TV mm-hmm. repair, um, even, even, you know, gas station attendant, uh... All of like a lot of these jobs that you're talking about, I guess like the the sort of made up bureaucracy is a little less, but it's just as sort mm-hmm. of like pointless. You know, a lot of these are falling, are disappearing, are going away, and so like there are bills to pay, but also there's less and less reason for you mm-hmm. to exist as a worker. Yeah, and as we've and as we're kind of pressed into defining ourselves as workers, you know, we talked last time we talked about the Rust Belt Gothic thing. One of the big aspects I think of Gothic lit in general is the complete destruction and ghostly haunting of who who had value who was supposed to be in charge what was supposed to happen um Mm -hmm. you know uh, the um, yeah i I will say everyone go go just google rust belt gothic there's a paper by a guy from iup's and college around here indiana university it'll be one of your first hits probably that isn't us because i think we are the ones who are most popularizing the term now but like he wrote a really (laughs) amazing paper on it you can just go and read it and go okay yeah this is just in greater detail but it's just the idea of like oh now like that manor house where once the lord was who was like you know in uh who was in charge of this and stuff who's supposed to give order to it like that's you know he's he's gone and that place is haunted now and even if you inherit it you are going to be haunted by the ghost of people who were there and are now dead um you know in like southern gothic it's like oh yeah god was supposed to be here the church was supposed to be here all these different things but actually no it's this racist totalitarian like place you know that like that you know got basically destroyed in the civil war and we and you had to 
and now you're haunted by that. The Rust Belt Gothic thing, I think, uh, has a lot to do. Like and, oh, and so in like in taking away that those kind of like in Southern Gothic, taking away the whole kind of like oh the the government, the church or whatever should be tying us together these community leaders, but actually it's like super sleazy and racist and bad. Um, in the Rust Belt Gothic thing, it's like the you know let's let's take it to, to like a to like a masculinity thing. It's like yeah, dude, you you were mm. supposed to be able to provide for your family. Why can't you provide for them now? What is wrong with you? Like. You are supposed right. to be the one. We touch on this in Night in the Woods at the end, where Stan, uh, May's father, is like, "No, I wanted to give you and your mom time. I wanted to give you your hobbies. I wanted. I, I just. I. Mm-hmm. I wanted that to be true, and now it's not true, and it's like killing me. And I totally 100% feel that because that is the way that men are socialized to be. We're supposed to be providers uh, and stuff. And we can all be like, no, that's bullshit. It is bullshit and it's stupid. But there is, it's so ingrained in culture that sometimes you just do feel like, oh man, I should be, I should be protecting. I should be providing whatever. And as industry leaves, as certain things go, that goes away. And that is a crisis that people have to deal with. That crisis of the way that men are, I think, victimized into being, like seeing our value not just as like laborers or whatever but as like providers we're supposed to be the ones who are making sense of all this and doing it and making these types of things and it's it sucks because when we shouldn't have to do that that is bullshit like mm-hmm. patriarchy <laughs> shit but it's also yeah we should all be yeah, yeah, objective right yeah, yeah it's not as easy yeah as and that. so like um kentucky Ray zero i think does a really um does some really cool things with that by spreading out that kind of disillusion over a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds, uh, a bunch of genders and stuff. And you kind of see how it, it lands on a whole bunch of people. Like Conway is, is cool and everything, but you can kind of see him like, Oh, I got to soldier through and got to do that. And then other people are just like, well, why should we do that? <laughs> good stuff. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Conway's a, Conway's a good soldier, but like there's other people yeah. who aren't and they're fine with that. Yeah. And like, you see all these different ways where people are forced to deal with all this stuff and you see them deal with dealing with it differently. And some people find community in trying to deal with it. And some people are just alone and stuff. And it's again, not their fault. It's like, we're all, we're all pressed into this and we're all doing the best we can with it. And one of the best things you can do is kind of come to that consciousness of, Oh, we are all dealing with this. Uh, and yeah. here, here's here's what we can do. And in the meantime, even if we can't do something about this, here's how we can live. And sometimes living is like the, a pretty good, you know, even that's a pretty good accomplishment sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, and to tie it to tie it back to that, there's like you know the the British Gothic, um, which I can speak on more than the German Gothic, is like is concerned or or sort of like preoccupied with the dissolution of. Um, you know, traditional forms, particularly mm-hmm. the monarchy, um, after, well, it's a little distantly after France, but then also, you know, like not just the dissolution of the monarchy, but the failure of the French revolution as well. So like all this stuff is like, okay, so what's left? What, what do we have? This mm-hmm. is all ruins. And then Southern Gothic is concerned like with reconstruction, uh, Faulkner, you know, famously sort of like struggles with those problems. There's a very famous scene in, well, no, not a very famous scene. I don't know why I would explain it if it was famous, but there's a, uh, a scene I find very evocative in, uh, his novel, the Hamlet where, um, these guys basically, uh, buy a, uh, an old slave plantation 
from um, a guy who's uh, effectively a carpetbagger. Like, he comes down from the north. He's sort of, like, the villain of the of this book filled with, like, all these interconnected stories, um, as much as the book has a villain. Um, and they buy this this mansion from him because they he tells them there's this gold buried on it. And, like, there's a rumor that there's gold buried on it. And he, he shows them some of the gold mm-hmm. he found, right? Um, and then they find that, like, actually what he's done is he's buried... Uh, they they use their metal detectors. They find the stuff. It's like you know, it's, they've they've made their fortune. And what they find is that he's buried quarters all mm-hmm. over it, um, and swindled them. Like it's just quarters, that, and that he's buried there. They're worthless. They're just as worthwhile as quarters are, and they've paid much more for the for the mansion. There's no treasure. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. It's just the old ghost of the South. Um, and so that kind of expands on the dissolution and says like, yeah, look, like the only thing you have left is this capital, and the capital's not worth. Yeah, what you think it is? It's not worth your. It's not worth mm-hmm. your history anymore. Um, whether you know how obviously there's slaves in that history, and 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 um, Faulkner for any other sins he may commit is is very much uh, not a slave man, uh, not into <laughs> slavery. Uh, but uh, well, that's good. but he, yeah, no, it's it, I I like Faulkner. I just he's, like he's, I don't he's want, one of them I that I have anyone read, to. So he's he's good. I would read. Try try something like the Hamlet because it's like it's not the difficult mm-hmm. Faulkner as much. Uh, I think jumping into the difficult Faulkner is scary uh, and and mm. unnerving. Uh, but I don't want anyone adding me on Twitter and being like, "How dare you defend <laughs> Faulkner?" Because I'm I'm not prepared to defend him in, in, on the uh, on the battlefield <laughs> of Twitter. Uh, but what I think is what I think is so cool about the Rust Belt Gothic, the way you're describing it and the way it shows up in particularly in Night in the Woods and, and Kentucky Route Zero is like. It takes Faulkner another step further and says, like, it's not just about, you know, oh, no, who's the governing body? It's not just about, oh, no, like, we sold our history for far less than what it's worth, um, and we tried to buy it back and we got swindled again. It's much, it's actually this version where you're like, yeah, all those things are true, um, but then what do we do next? Like, how do we live this out beyond it? And, like... If there's a thing video games do very well, is it is like they're pure speculation. They're pure sort of like you can do anything you want in a video game in a certain way, and they think about potential in a way that's very difficult for us to do in like our day to day lives because we are so concerned. Yeah, there's I I come back to it with a lot of people will say agency in games, and agency in games is like extremely overrated. I think I, I, ex, ex, exploration yeah, I on the other hand is 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 my main is what primarily interests me in games and in life. And it's funny, as I just talked about exploring my neighborhood and being super happy about it, but like exploration, like one of the things that's great about Kentucky Road Zero is you often don't have a lot of choices and how the dialogue will go, but you can explore it in all these different interesting ways. Like that game was about exploring this space that you are kind of through all these different, you know, material reasons are forced to go through. Um, in Night in the Woods, you know, we wanted a lot of exploration. That's actually one of the reasons it's like a platformer is because it would be fun to hop around and actually explore spaces. We didn't want you just trudging around the entire time because that's not going to really incentivize you to go and be like, I'm going to climb up a building if it is no fun to move around. We're like, what's more fun than running and jumping? That's fun. So, Yeah, on, on, on uh, electric wires. Especially when people yeah, are telling you not to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, you you know, you give permission by not giving permission there. But like, um, <laughs> the uh, I think part of the at least for me the Rust Belt Gothic thing as 
again, it's such a micro genre that you can almost just be like, no, it, it is this because I'm kind of saying it is right now because it's so small. And the people who are actively pra- practicing it in ways where they're actually calling it out, it's such a, a small group of people. So I'll, I'll just say that for me, whatever our flavor of it is, since there's no like orthodoxy of it, um, is part of it is also recognizing that the thing that is gone was not good to begin with. Like, mm. this is not like... And I, I and I don't think that I don't think that's completely unique. I think a lot of you know gothic stuff recognizes that these things failed for reasons. Um, but yeah, for me because Rothbard Gothic is like we're like haunted by economics. We're haunted by what it's done to this land. You know, go to fucking West Virginia and read about like the mine wars. Read about all these different things. Like talk about what's happening there. Where like you know they spill chemicals into the water and then when like deformities like come out in like births. You know these like fucking ghoulish like you know mine and chemical company people will be like well that's just because they're all inbred down there and stuff and like that actually happened a few years ago and i wanted to go like throw a bomb or something i was just so pissed off (laughs) uh because like that is directly people being harmed and murdered by these giant interests uh that again these people don't necessarily even have access to fighting and then having it blamed on them in like the most like repulsive way possible i think that um yeah part of it is realizing that it was a complete swindle from the start and it was a complete victimization from the start and when we talked about the whole thing of like you know masculinity the whole thing of like well you know the the other funny like fucked up thing about it particularly if you're like um a man is the idea that no not only is this what you have to do you should thrive at it and you should be the one who enforces it and if you can't do it, then you're less of of a man in some way. It it it, mm-hmm. it pulls your gender into it and says, why can't you do it? And you realize that was what it was always doing, and you just didn't notice it until it wasn't there anymore, <laughs> and you couldn't do it. And then it's left, and the, all that's left is the demand. Uh, and so I, I think for me, um, you almost have to go like as. You know, I, I guess there's like there's like in like old gothic literature or something or like, you know, Lovecraft's like whole like thing. Like how often is like in like a Lovecraft story? Because he's like, of course, super, super influenced by like the old gothics because he's a stodgy old racist. But like the um, uh, like, he is 100 percent. Yeah. Uh, but the um, the but like half of his like stories are like, oh, yeah, they've blown up Exxon Priory now and whatever and it's like yeah we burned this thing to the ground or like lightning hit it and it blew up because it had to be obliterated and and stuff um i think that uh for me gothic stuff that has to take that takes place with that that it that deals with this kind of horror it's not something you can't purify it out of the soil like you cannot bring in a priest to bless this away you you can't consecrate this shit even if you burn down the mansion it's still there like then it should, then you're just dealing with the loss of the mansion too. <laughs> so like, well, it's why it's why in the best gothic, like if you think about mm-hmm. Wuthering Heights, which to me is sort of like the the ultimate oh, gothic yeah, novel. Definitely. It's it's up um, there certainly. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no monster there. I mean, Heathcliff is, but like he's not supernatural. There's mm-hmm. no ghosts. There's no anything that you think is there. There's nothing actually spooky or haunted or anything. It's literally just like when you get down to it if there's no ghost then that's like way scarier than if there was one. yeah definitely and i think that like the 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 difficulty with something like the economics 
is that it's so difficult to put your finger on and it's so difficult to lay your hand mm-hmm. to I, I'm going to completely mix metaphors here it's so difficult to both put your finger on and it's so difficult to lay your hands on like it's so difficult mm. to point to it because it's it's everywhere until it's nowhere you know it's like you know it's like the whole like, globalized capital it's everywhere until there's so, until like we're looking for someone to blame and then it, it evaporates and it's just your fault like that's like one of the horrible things about it it's just it's everywhere and then it's nowhere um, it's completely untouchable to you unless it's touching you in every possible way. Like, right. and that's like the horror of it is like, which is why I think like, you know, <laughs> for me at least, it's like, you can't talk about this shit without it being kind of a horror story to so kind of like, I'll, I'll wrap this up cause I've been going on for a little bit, but yeah. there's a game called diary of the spaceport janitor that came out last year. Uh, Diary of the Spaceport Janitor. All these games that we're talking about, Cart Life and Category Zero and Diaries of the Spaceport Janitor, I think at most some of them are going to be like $25, 20 bucks. Category uh, Zero is 25 now, but there's, I mean, you get all five parts for that when the fifth part comes out. Yeah, this is like free, a half so. decade long production with Kentucky Route Zero, and then you get the supplemental games. It is it. very much worth it. But Spaceport Janitor is pretty cheap. Cart Life, I think, might be 10 bucks, 15 Cart Oh, is it free now? Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah. The um, but yeah. So really, just seriously, go play them. They're they're excellent. The um, Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor came out last year and kind of entered this like tiny little pantheon I have of games that I think really do this well. In Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor, you are a janitor at a spaceport, (laughs) as you can imagine. It's a little kind of cartoon thing, like Hmm. wacky (laughs) and fun aliens around, and like the um, uh. Uh, there's like this amazing music and it's like fun and stuff and you're like wandering around it's a spaceport and someone's going on adventures but not you, you're a janitor <laughs> like and you are barely <laughs> making it by and your dream is to go and get off you know, the planet and go on you know, some sort of spacefaring adventure um, but you can't, you can't afford it at all and what's more, the one time you try to go adventuring down this dungeon, you get this, you get cursed, and there's a skull that floats next to you and screams at you the entire game. Basically, it's just floating <laughs> there. The whole game, it's there. I'm looking at pictures yeah. now. There, really, and really like you fun. can interpret the skull in a lot of different ways, um, uh, in a bunch of different ways, like the like you know just a generalized anxiety disorder, or the way that I uh, some people have. Because the game uh, talked about gender a lot, people talked about kind of a general kind of dysmorphia. Um, people have talked about it as like depression and uh, other chronic illness and stuff. I, I always interpreted it as this kind of like, you know, that fear kind of driving you kind of a little nuts <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. It's just always there, just occasionally going Rah! at you. Um, you can't like get lost <laughs> in this like zen like thing where even of your work where you're like oh, I'm just wandering around. I'm I'm having. I'm doing my kind of Sisyphean task because no, you got this fucking skull yelling at you constantly. You can't get rid yeah. of it. Reminding and it, and it you. costs money to get rid of, and it, you have to do all this stuff. And um, and as all this adventure is happening around you, as everyone else is like going around and like having fun and doing all kinds of stuff, and like you know, but people walk by you and go like, Ugh, and it's just like, yeah, because they're talking about you because you're a janitor, and everyone is still looking down on you here while you go back. Uh, and try to make you know ends meet, and try to like be okay after a, another day of this, and it just keeps going, and you know, and you know, you'll never have you know that kind of you know experience where you get on the you know the, the space cruiser and, go, and jet off into the stars somewhere, 
It's like, that's not you. You're the janitor. Mm. You don't go anywhere. You are in the like lowest rungs of society. And it deals with that. That's so much. And like, I felt just because having been for a decent chunk of my, of my twenties in particular, and who knows, probably again soon sometime, like the, uh, in this like very low rung service industry where people just treat you like shit and you get no money and you do harder work than most people who make 10 times what you make. Uh, it, there's right. no fucking meritocracy exactly. yeah. there. Everyone I know works hard. Like almost no one I know has money. Um, and, uh, but I felt like this, like it's that whole thing of recognition. And I think that thing where mm. like you can, where this kind of art and this kind of stuff that has this kind of, for me at least, has this horror element to it, be it the gothic that we kind of work in, or or just a screaming skull that's following you around, which is horrific. Right. Yeah, it's terrifying in sort of a goofy way, but when you break it down, it's yeah, terrifying. and it's and, and you can immediately relate it to some part of your life like like this if you've ever been in this situation. I imagine there's a lot of people who are right. just like wealthy and like have it made who 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 are playing it and are like, well, metaphorically, I can kind of and like whatever like connect with it. But for a lot of people, it is really very much their lived experience. A lot of people I know, a lot, and certainly me from uh, times in in, my, in the past, but that can build solidarity, like. Hmm. One of the cool things, and this is not like this is not me taking credit for it, because this is all credit to the people uh, who who say this. But some people are like, "Oh, I played Night in the Woods, and now I have joined a socialist organization," or yeah, like, or like good. this was I had never heard anyone talk about my life like this before. And it's not like we're I'm like, yes, ha ha ha, we've you know done that, done it, whatever. Because <laughs> it wasn't like the thing we were just talk trying to talk honestly about something, but. A lot of people were like, you know, my a friend of mine who I won't name, but like, she 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 was like, yeah, I before all this, like, before we would like talk about this and stuff like that, she's like, I just thought I was a fucking failure, but there was like something wrong mm. with me, and now I kind of do feel like, like, you know, a lot of this has to do with the, of capitalism and stuff, and this is why like you know libertarians be like, well, that's why it's an excuse, and it's just like, motherfuckers, <laughs> like. Just because something <laughs> is a reason for something doesn't mean it's an, an excuse. Like the and so like I think it's more of I mean you're you're arguing the capitalism is more of a prime mover than they are. It's not an excuse. It's everything. It's, it's the, the water we're swimming it's, in. Yeah, the, yeah uh, exactly. It's it's like you you can't like give big ups to capitalism while not like you know recognizing it's like oh the invisible hand of the market. Okay, fine. Then the invisible hand is all fucking over me, and I want it off. Like. Yeah, get it out of <laughs> um, here. <laughs> I, I want this screaming skull to get out of the uh, out of here. But the um, but people will say like, oh yeah, like I recognize this now. This is something, and I and I don't feel as alone in this now. I don't feel alone. Like I think for me, art is, it, and this is kind of what I what I hope to do with anything I make is to feel, make people go, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. Like hmm. I think feeling alone is like one of the worst things. I felt alone a lot as a kid. If you want to go all psychoanalytical about it. The but the always (laughs) and like but I think capitalism makes us so lonely. It 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 Mm. it makes it so like it's like every single thing that happens to you is your fault. You are isolated. All your circumstances are yours alone. There's no sort of shared solidarity or anything. It's so lonely. And so art can do this thing where it, it just like kicks through that wall. And you don't have to do it necessarily through like argumentation or anything. You can just show someone and, and, and they can go, that's my life. 
and immediately it's like you know what we talked about you know we come back to this several times you know like the the dsa therapy sessions or um or, you know the june right. bug and johnny and kentucky route zero going like oh we heard this music and we realized that we are something different than what we were made to be um there is something so amazing about that uh there's something so I don't know. For me, it's like one of the most profound things in the world. It's one of the th- reasons why I do what I do. Other than the fact that I'm not good at anything else. Like, the, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I, no. I feel so, so, super, super lucky to be able to make stuff, uh, you know, in my, in my life. Because that connection, I think, is at the heart of not just um, our own personal feeling of, like, actual activated individuals <laughs> with, with agency, uh, but I think at the heart of, at least for me, any sort of attempt at a, at a radical politics and in an, an attempt at picturing a future and how we get there together. Hmm. Uh, well, you know what? You know what Hegel said about the church, my friend? The His ideal vision of the world was uh, was the Christian church without Christ. <laughs> that just uh, in, in, a, in a way, it's that that kind of spiritualism is is sort of secularized spiritualism is uh is, sounds to me yeah, what i think describing. it's like it's one of those things where oh god i realize i almost just paraphrase it christopher hitchens i'm really sorry everyone uh but oh no um, christopher christopher hitchens <laughs> uh had this had this kind of and listen i i i was a fundamentalist or i, I was a very very strong christian who left the faith and left ministry and it was a big traumatic thing so there was definitely a point where christopher hitchens being a dick felt like really great to listen to but i'm just like oh good i'm not like insane for thinking this is stupid or something or having these issues like and then like a month later going oh my god who is this person (laughs) yeah he's like he's a he's a bad he's like a a bad like partner or something like that you just needed to get uh yeah chris hitchens is is a one-night stand that is understandable but then you go (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, like that kind of uh, thing. Uh, it's like Richard Dawkins, where where, where I was like, oh yeah, like his, his, he would say things about like evolution that I would be like, oh, these are like really true, and then he'd say something about literally anything else. Oh, he's oh, he's so horrible. Bad. But at the time, you know, uh, it was it was really lonely uh, and drunk. And, no, but like, um, so. Uh, but it, Hitchens had this really stupid thing where he was, he was just like, you know, religion was our first attempt at like healthcare at, you know, like predicting the weather at science. And it was like, you know, because it was our first, it was our worst idea. And you're like, eh, whatever, it's stupid. But like, um, when you talk about, you know, the church without Christ, I do think it's because it's not that like we're secularizing that kind of thing. I think it's just a thing that we do. And, and that was just the way that we were doing it then. And that's maybe a little less, I mean, statistically, it's less how we're doing it now. Like that whole thing of like, we're coming together and like finding each other and going, here's Mm. our shared situation. Like, and this is how we're going to work through it together and experience this and mark the time. I think marking time is like hugely important. Like the, that type of thing. I think it's just, it's something that we do and religion of that sort and that kind of congregational way was just how we did it for a long time. Uh, and still do it now to a degree. So I don't really think of it as secularizing it. I think it's more like it's just like there's a baseline thing that we a lot of us need to happen, and we're still coming up with ways because we're kind of, uh, you know, I guess people had like you know the Elks Club and stuff too, and like other things that yeah. they were doing. Like we're, we we just kind of do it. 
it's one of those things. It's like art. It's like anything else. It's something we just do anyway. So it's like, if we're going to do it anyway, like we need to come up with the best way of doing it that meets our actual needs. So like, anyway, that was a tangent just to say that I think that, that Hegel maybe isn't talking about like the church without Christ. He's no, I think yeah. Talk about this thing that oh, we guys, do, I... and and the, the congregational church is just the way that we did it for a while. Yeah, it's a glib way. I mean, Hegel's not a better way of saying it is when when Hegel was asked about whether or not he was a Christian, his response was, "I'm mm-hmm. a Lutheran," um, which is complicated because Hegel loved the church. Um, but what he loved about the church was that it was a place where people could meet and, and it was a social network. Um, and in this way, Hegel is fundamentally conservative. He loves social networks. He loves places where people can meet like traditional places. Um, but he speaks to the thing you're talking about too, where it's like, you need that. Like you need a place where you can have permission to feel ways you can congregate with people. You can be a social Mm -hmm. animal. Um, and that's like, yeah, maybe maybe video games can sort of like uh, direct. I do think it. I think it's just like it's like any art. I think I think all art can kind yeah. of do that. Um, obviously, I don't think people are playing Overwatch necessarily and like really pondering whatever. Like I, I think that games got if like we didn't we didn't get <laughs> to into all the ways that games suck because like I mean it's an incredibly exploitative industry. It's like the stuff that tends to get any sort of air that anyone talks about is like completely one hundred percent. It slavishly devoted to capital in this really gross ways. E3 is coming up, which I love because it's just shit posting holiday of the year on Twitter and in video game Twitter. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. We're all just kind of going, oh, that looks cool, slash just making fun of everything the entire time. And having been to E3 and, dis- and displayed a game at E3, I'm, I'm allowed to make jokes about it. But like the, um, <laughs> but the, uh, but and it, it, yeah, it's exploitative. The labor is is really bad. It's super crass. It's like you know people make horrible sexist bullshit and racist bullshit and stuff. It's made out of fucking conflict minerals. It's bad. Uh, there's a lot of bad, bad, Ugh. bad stuff. Like there needs to be massive like unionization or something of that sort or national nationalize the video game industry (laughs) nationalize the video game industry speaking speaking of being uh, a little skeptical of uh power (laughs) but like the um uh but yeah so there there are all these like horrible things but just like anywhere people are doing interesting cool stuff in, in it and it's important at least to me and i say this not just because i'm a person making weird smaller games that uh, talk about this this stuff but the more people come up with structures to support this stuff and talk about the interesting things people are doing uh games like all mediums have their interesting unique ways of getting into your life uh and getting into people and uh and doing some kind of cool interesting stuff with it and games like kentucky zero kind of like my like exhibit a for things like that a lot of other people Mm -hmm. i mean you could I'm sure on all of your podcasts you're going to have people who are going to be like, and here was my exhibit A. Oh yeah, and that's that's largely the point of the podcast. But I, I think I think pointing it out in that way is is super valuable. Uh, yeah. Anyway, go play Kentucky Road Zero and, and yeah, go play Kentucky Road Zero. Yeah, I'm definitely going to play Diaries of Spaceport Generator. That one that one skipped me, so I'm excited. Definitely to, don't to play Night in the Woods. It's terrible. Yeah. Ugh. T- tune in next episode where I talk about how bad that game is. Uh, no, everyone play Night in the Woods. Um, I'm not just saying it because uh, Scott's my friend. Uh, you should just go go play Night in the Woods. Um, it's fantastic.
There are two other designers. I, I've never talked to Bethany or Alec. I'm, I'm sure they're oh, extremely they, nice they're people. Lovely. But I, yeah, but I have, I have no reason to show for them. I've That's never true. Met them, so yeah. uh, I'll still say the game is great. There you go. We have the Hegelbahn uh, yeah. seal of approval. Seal of approval. Yeah, that'll that'll mm-hmm. net you a bunch of sales. Um, <laughs> no, we're gonna, real, we're gonna, I'm gonna put critical. that on the back of the box whenever we get a box copy of it. If it was if it was not, I, I would teach it. If it wasn't as, um, I think it might be too graphically demanding for, and I don't think it should be any less. But it might be too graphically demanding for laptops, and I worry that my students depends on the laptop. We played on laptops, so. All right. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe I'll teach it, and I'll I'll Skype you guys in to, for a seminar. Like, kids, you That'd don't know fun. what the real world's like. All right, college kids and safe <laughs> yeah, spaces, <laughs> little snowflakes. Oh, did I trigger you? Yeah. Uh, I'm a. <laughs> now someone's really gonna trigger you. I'm Adam. I'm Adam Carolla. I'm an old man who's angry at 19 year olds. <laughs> I read an article where a 19 year old didn't like sushi being in the cafeteria, and I'm super pissed about it. I devote my life to this now. This is not weird at all. Yeah, what a loser. <laughs> Anyways. This is good. This is a good. This is a good ultimate career <laughs> for you. Good. My, my my character as like the shitty old like I'm gonna blow your snowflake mind guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, you <laughs> can pull great. it off. I'm penciling that in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Scott. This is this is great. I'm uh I'm probably gonna break it up into two parts. Yeah. Because uh, it's just Seven so much good stuff. But uh, and he said, mm. <laughs> it's a new sub podcast. Um. But no, thank you. Anytime. Uh, this was this was a blast. So I really appreciate it. Go, everyone, go play Night in the Woods. Go follow Scott on Twitter at, at BombsFall. Um, he's a great follow. Always posting uh, good stuff. And a lot of times at, at the weird times of day where I'm awake. So I yeah, I'm a night owl. And yeah, yeah. you get a lot of good yeah. midnight content. <laughs> All right. That Thanks again, thank man. You.